Tech Conversations. Yeah, we go into our tech conversations, but of course we will come back uh, to uh, all of those chats uh, insofar as, uh, uh, yeah, how do we build an ethical, capable and developmental state because the cost of not doing so is uh, the cost of that debris we see and that white elephant we see at HMPJ. Uh, where there's just a spaghetti type of roles and responsibilities, like who's who, that type of thing. But uh, even our friends there at Sandra Lassin Libelanga, because there's a lot there in the stalling and, of course, in the governance issues that, yes, we appreciate that you want to be thorough, has an implication, but also, I guess, uh, there's a big issue there about the balance sheet of Sandra and whether or not some of the announcements made on e-tolls. Uh, will potentially materialize uh, because we do know, of course, Sandral certainly at the, in the eye of that particular storm. Love to hear your thoughts on that. Give us a shout. We are out on 079-191-4270 for WhatsApp and uh, our studio line is 089-110-3377. Also out on Twitter on at MetroFMSA. Use the hashtag MetroFMTalk and uh, we're also out on Facebook on MetroFMSA. Now, we shift our attention in our tech conversations tonight to uh, the courts, uh, magistrates' uh, courts, high courts, uh, you know, uh, master's uh, office. Uh, I wouldn't add some of the other offices that might sit outside of the Ministry of Justice. Uh, but effectively, the digitization of all of the processes that register uh, much of what is needed for the justice system to function. And tonight, uh, we talk about this, this after some remarks by the Minister of Justice and Correctional Services, uh, Ronald Lamola, insofar as the uh, four pilot projects where uh, digitization is underway. And uh, we'll talk about that. Uh, has to do with deceased estates, trusts, maintenance uh, in the family court and uh, the case management system out in the state attorney. And I'm joined on the line to talk about this, what has given rise to it as well, and of course, uh, what it will mean for practitioners and many of us as citizens. Crispin Pires speaks on behalf of the Ministry of Justice and Correctional Services. Crispin, good evening and welcome. Good evening, Ayabong, and good evening to our listeners. Yeah, thank you very much for joining us. Crispin, maybe just talk to us about, I guess, the genesis of this particular series of pilots. Um, the identification of these areas, I mean, I understand there would be many other areas in the work of the Department of uh, Justice and Correctional Services, but let's just talk about how these four pilots were selected and, of course, what it is uh, that you envisage will come out of these pilots. Well, uh, I think the main thrust around this digitization process is to ensure that um, the court system, which is not only imperative um, for us in society, but it also has to keep up with um, public expectations and the pace of society in general. So we are now, by and large, living in a digitized society. Um, and so it's quite important that we have a system that is able to match those expectations and particularly for government institutions, it's quite important that they become more modern as our economy develops in one way or another. Mm. So these these innovations will really serve um, as a foundation and a catalyst for really improving efficiency throughout the entire system. Yeah. And we know that courts play a very big role. Um, think about the criminal justice system. So uh, digitizing some of the, the the solutions that we have there or some of the processes within the criminal justice system will really help us have a a more efficient system altogether. Mm. So, Crispin, maybe, you know, let's take one example. Let's go to the family court uh, just on this issue yeah. of maintenance. I mean, maybe unpack for us the process now 
that uh, would be operating prior to these pilots um, insofar as, uh, I guess, you know, registering of maintenance issues, uh, database management, you know, management of cases that come before the family court. How would that operate? Because the assumption, I guess, is that it would be paper-based, but maybe walk us through it. Let me give you a more crude example is with your GBV cases, mm. your protection orders that one would apply for. So sure. currently you would go to a police station or a magistrate court and then you would apply for a protection order which is written on paper. But it would only then apply in that jurisdiction. So let's say we move out of this jurisdiction and go to KZN. They don't have a record of that protection order. The system, the, the, the paper system somehow doesn't factor in that there's a protection order against Christian uh, on against Christian for Ayabong. Mm. So now if you have a digitized system, no matter where you go, a police station in Bumalanga or in KZN can pick up that you know, under case so-and-so, there is a protection order and this individual must be afforded some level of protection when they come into this jurisdiction. Things like that uh, mm. would really improve the quality of how we, we protect citizens from uh, domestic violations. But also the maintenance system that we have now, for instance, why it's quite important for us to digitize it is because we've seen how data is being managed across various vantage points, we are now able to pull. If Ayabonga says he doesn't, have, he, he doesn't have money to maintain his child, which is a form of gender-based violence also, by the way, sure. um, because it's often women who are left with the brunt of maintaining the children. So there's some economic disadvantage that women are forced to bear. So now we'd be able, through this system that we have in place, to actually track directly from SARS, for instance, what Ayabonga's source of income is, what car he drives. You know, you can't say you don't have money. Meanwhile, you, you drive a Lamborghini. Uh, so we'll be able to track all of those data points and we'll be able to pull them to say, no, according to the records that we have on you, this is the level of affordability that you should be able to afford mm. and this is the type of maintenance that you should be paying for your child. And I guess, I mean, Christopher, this is not unique to, to your department or to this particular pilot. I mean, it just seems, you know, there's all manner of data that government would be collecting on a person at Indeed. different life stages, right? From when I'm born, right through to the first time I interact with the criminal justice system, maybe, right through to the first time I interact with the education system, first time with the social uh, system. And it just seems all of this, some is paper-based, some is digitized, but it doesn't seem like there's a common database that allows you to do the kind of things you're talking about. Indeed. And for instance, let's talk about deceased estates, online services, okay, sure. which people really do interact with. At one point in your life, you're going to have to go to the master's office. And one of the things that you have to do is to produce a death certificate. Uh, and you then have to leave the master's office and go to the Department of Home Affairs and say, I'd like a death certificate for the justice office. And then you wait in a queue in Home Affairs. You wait in a queue in the Department of uh, Justice as well for the master's office. Whereas you could have a system that simply says we are able to verify if you are indeed the next of kin or you are indeed someone who is uh, in any way identifiable to this estate. Mm. And we can ourselves pull the data from home affairs. And you don't have to give us that information. We just have to, the record, the system should be able to record that so-and-so is passed on and the master's office should be able to pull that data from home affairs. So when we speak of an integrated system as well, these are the type of solutions that we are looking to to, to deploy. Mm. But in the main, the one that we currently have 
in the justice in the justice department is the digitization process. So as much as possible, ensuring that all of these forms that people have to fill in are now digitized. Mm. And there are kiosks where people don't have to stand in queues anymore and fill in forms. And the forms disappear into some archive somewhere or into some file and are stored in a manner which sometimes leads to this very sensitive information being lost in the system. Now we know that immediately you come into our offices, this, this information is digitized and we have a record of it. In a digital form. Sure, sure. And I guess now that you've explained the application of it and how it might, you know, uh, influence how these processes unfold, I want us to talk maybe about two things. The one is, I guess, what it will mean for the convenience, ease of administration and the time associated with having to do all of these tasks, right? Be it registering a new deceased estate, a new trust, uh, you know, maintenance issues in the family court. And then uh, I want us maybe to come back also, I guess, to some of the issues on the back end, which we can go to. But in terms of ease of administration, time, convenience, that kind of thing, um, your thoughts on how that might unfold if indeed you've already started? Yes, I think it would really, really go a long way, firstly, in improving the efficiency of government systems. Uh, for instance, one of the solutions that we also have is the court e-scheduling system. Currently, when you go to a court in any court in South Africa, you don't know what time your matter starts. You don't know what room you're in. It's a finder, finder type of a situation. Uh, so one of the things that we envision, it will be pretty much like when you go to the airport, you'll be able to look at the screen and say, oh, I, I'm in that room, that is my matter before so-and-so, and it starts at 10 o'clock. Currently, you'd go at 8 o'clock and your matter only gets heard at, at, 10, at 10 o'clock, if you're lucky, or even after lunch, and you've been there the whole day. Mm. So we want a system where people are able to say that, okay, I'm due to appear at 12 o'clock, and you come in at exactly at 12 o'clock and your matter gets heard and you leave. Uh, so those are the type of efficiency that we're speaking about within the system as a whole. But also the way we're speaking about digitizing our services, we're saying that at least we don't want people to be standing in very long lines. I'm not sure which particular service point they are required, what documents are required, where, although that system is improving in the mm. manual process. But when it's digitized, it becomes a lot more efficient, much like when you go to a bank, you know, You've got a very good idea of if mm. I want to open an account, that's the, the machine to operate. If I want to withdraw yeah. money, that's the machine. And if I want to see the manager, that's... So that type of thinking, proper business analyst approach to the type of services mm. that we provide to citizens. Talk to me about, I guess, the other questions. Certainly, I mean, for, for this tech slot, um, where is this being hosted? Where is, you know, the database? Um, and I guess the role of CETA as well, if any, uh, in this particular pilot. I mean, there's nothing more concerning, uh, certainly for, for other reasons, national security and whatever, that a lot of the, you know, industry of the public service is effectively being undertaken on platforms that aren't necessarily owned by that and all manner of information is shared wittingly and unwittingly. Talk to us about what's happening insofar as that is concerned, but also how much uh, will this pilot cost? So most of these pilots are already underway uh, and what we're actually speaking about now is the unrolling them at a national level. So, for instance, the deceased estate program that I was speaking about is one that you would find in the master's office in Pretoria. The maintenance order system and the the protection order system is piloted in KZN Durban. So at various points across the country, the court e-scheduling system was piloted in Cullinan and Bronkorspreit. So most of these are being piloted in several places across the country. Unfortunately, now I don't have the figure offhand, 
but I'm sure we could find it. But they fall under the the umbrella technological hub mm. of the department called Integrated Criminal Justice System, which is based in the department but interacts with other departments within the criminal justice system to pull all these systems together so that the, the justice system works a lot more efficiently. And yes, we're working very closely with CETA. I think CETA is a very important instrument. And like you say, for, for reasons of national security and so on, you can't have a situation where all the state infrastructure, and all the state data is not stored according to the requisite protocols, which CETA would stipulate mm. most of the time. And the opportunities, I mean, in this kind of work, uh, I mean, surely there's stories about, you know, young uh, database administrators or, you know, people in the world of tech startups and that kind of thing um, that are working not only on that first data problem we were speaking about, but even in just building the architecture of the systems as you roll them out. That must be a massive opportunity. And I guess that's why I was asking what becomes the role of the CETAs, you know, the technology innovation agencies and others. Uh, which are in the public element of our system of innovation in supporting this type of work, not just in your department, but I guess in other departments. So in your case, I mean, what has the interface been with some of those other public agencies and the scope, I guess, for for small black players uh, or medium-sized or micro players uh, in this value chain? Yeah, so funny you mentioned that because I think, you know, interestingly, tomorrow the minister will be giving his... Uh, budget vote speech for correctional services. Mm. And in it, he highlights, for instance, one of the parolees. I'm sort of throwing forward to the minister's speech, I think. Sure, sure. Um, but in it, he highlights one of the parolees who is actually from Maritana, mm. who acquired entrepreneurial skills whilst incarcerated, but now actually has an IT firm, installs Wi-Fi cables around the area of Christiana and, and, and where he comes from. So, indeed, this industry, the tech industry, is really ripe with opportunities for all manner of people to participate in. Uh, and so when, when we do go to the market uh, for these solutions, I think we often really look for people who come from a historically disadvantaged background, but with the requisite skill level to, to really make a difference um, in society with, with so far as these solutions are concerned. And, and I guess, I mean, just, just that example is, um, you know, probably a fascinating account that uh, you might want to maybe share with, um, you know, one of your colleagues in the Gauteng uh, government, because we, we did speak about something quite similar in the case of, uh, you know, the cannabis value chain. And uh, maybe we must find that discussion for you, because we were saying you've got people in your correctional facilities there, Crispin, just as we wrap up, who have, you know, been incarcerated for this kind of thing. Surely there should be some system of preference and hopefully uh, uh, for some of those people who are incarcerated for it, yes, uh, prohibition and we can talk about the implication that that has had. But as a reparative move, can we find space for some of the, you know, rehabilitated offenders and I use offenders in you know the broadest sense of the word um, mm. to try and at least get a foot in in a sector that if ostensibly they were arrested for. So. Something maybe to put in your inbox or on your to-do list. Uh, and, uh, yeah, hopefully you can maybe convince some of your colleagues there uh, in, uh, in the Gauteng government. There's a conversation around whether drug offences should actually end up in correctional centres to begin with. Um, and maybe is it not more something that we should look at social development, not really definitely. looking at, yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah, yeah. But uh, that's, that's, that's even a broader conversation. But certainly, the, the general principle applies. I think we shouldn't have a society that completely washes their hands off people 
we should believe that people should be afforded uh, second chances. And I think there's room for us to say when someone has been incarcerated and they are now well-skilled, how do we give them that second chance to pay back their dues to society mm. by doing well, yeah. by doing good to society? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Crispin, we'd have to leave it there, but uh, thank you so much for taking time out to speak to us. Really appreciate it.